0: You're listening to What The History, a podcast where two nerds talk about some awesome, crazy, random stuff you probably don't remember learning about, but you're going to now. Hey, nerds, welcome back to another episode of What the History. Uh, This is Casey and Sarah coming at you today with something really exciting. I'm low-key freaking out. Uh, First (laughs) off, (laughs) because this is the first time that Sarah and I have ever recorded on Zoom, so she is looking at me, Mm -hmm. um, and I feel hyper-aware of that. But also (laughs) because we have a special guest this week, which is also cripplingly terrifying. Um, Mostly because this woman is... Fucking phenomenal. I literally wish that she could be my history teacher for sure-sies. Um, So today, Sarah and I are talking to Sarah's good friend, Amy Menlapis. I think I said that right. Yes, yes, you, you, you said it right. Hi, I'm <laughs> so excited to be on With the History. Um, I, I'm so glad to be here and to be talking about dead people with you. Yeah. We're so excited to have you here too. Yeah. Um, so Amy's going to talk to us today about something Sarah and I know literally nothing about, uh, other than the fact that she sent us this bomb article, um, about the topic, but we're going to be talking today about something called Southernization. So before we get too much into that, um, I just want to give Amy a chance to introduce ourselves, uh, ourselves, herself, introduce um, us, Amy. Introduce us, Amy. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so if you want to just tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, what you teach, how long you've been teaching, you know, where did you get your degrees, all that good jazz. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So hi, I'm Amy Menlapis. Um, I'm 37. I've been teaching for 14 years. I don't math. I think it's either 13 or 14 years since 2006. Um, Dear listener, you do the math. Um, We don't math here, so you're- Yeah, yeah, no. no. (laughs) Um, I actually, so my department chair, who I'm obsessed with, his name is Barrington. He will go, I don't do public math. (laughs) Wait, is his first name Barrington or his last name? Yes. Yeah, his name is Barrington. I would literally die for Barrington Edwards. Like, I'm putting it out. I am literally just going to ask you what possible last name could you have with the first name Barrington? Yeah. Yeah. And he, had, good. Well, and he has a PhD in the history of science from Harvard and he's like, Oh God, he's so good. Honestly, yeah. I'm going to try and get him on the podcast for you guys. Cause he's oh, so wonderful. God. So he's Dr. Dr. Barrington Edwards. Yes. Yeah. Um, I but, love it. But he's the most delightful man. Here I am hyping up my department chair instead of talking about myself, <laughs> which is like the most me thing ever. Cause I'm obsessed with him. And I think he's such a good teacher. That's um, fantastic. So yeah, I am 37. I've been teaching school since 2006. Um, I've wanted to be a history teacher since I took 10th grade world history. And I was like, oh, this is the bomb. And I <laughs> learned about like Socrates dying because he taught people how to think for themselves. And I'm like, that's mm-hmm. how I'm going to die. <laughs> um, and that's and that's honestly my goal. I think I might okay. actually achieve it given how politics are going. Um, but I got my undergrad degree in history from mercer university in Macon, georgia and then i went on and got my master's degree in world history from georgia state university um, i'm currently the teaching committee chair of the world history association wow. and the world history association is like the academic body that helps publish the journal of world history and um helps create standards for courses like the AP world history class and stuff like that. It's the coolest organization. Um, and one thing that a lot of people don't know about world history is that it's actually like the baby of all of like the history disciplines. Um, world history has only been around since about 1980. Um, thinking about the world as like an interconnected system, um, teaching histories that are cross-cultural and comparative. Um, and it's just like so exciting for me. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what I do. Um, I currently teach at a private school in Atlanta where I'm obsessed with my department chair, who mm-hmm. is incredible. <laughs> so awkward. So awkward. Um, Does my... he wear like a tweed jacket? No, so no. I just feel like no, he had to at no, some point. No, no. He, he's like the coolest guy ever. He wears like cool pants. He's very fashionable. <laughs> okay. um, my students make memes like, you know, in Into the Spider-Verse, how there's Miles and then he's watching like older Spider-Man, right? Yeah. Um, my students have made dozens of memes where it's like Amy and I'm little Spider-Man watching like Barrington, big Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> um. But truly, one of the reasons why I um, kind of worship him is because he is one of the few people that has actually read the article Southernization. So when I interviewed for this job, um, he asked like, you know, what is the most influential thing that you've read on you as a historian? I said, Linda Schaefer's Southernization. And in a job interview, he leaned across the table and like touched my hands and he goes, I love Linda Schaefer. And we just, <laughs> we had this moment where I was like, You understand me and I would die for you. you're a complete stranger and I really want this job. And also, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also and we're I, best friends now. Yes. And, uh, yes. and like, also I would do anything for you. Um, That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So Southernization is, is not only super important to me as like a historian, but it has also like helped me make connections with other uh, like-minded teachers and researchers. Yeah. And it's also how you got a job. <laughs> it is also how I got a job. Do you feel like this is a topic that is, Because I'm not super involved in like the history academic world, I think mostly because my district just hasn't really been that. uh, What's the word I'm looking for? I guess like there's always been something going on in my district that I haven't had the same like opportunities to look at history in a deeper way, other than just like how do I teach this to a bunch of 14 year olds? So like, do you feel like southernization in the I don't know world history academia is Mm -hmm. like um. Not, like, taboo, but is it, like, something a lot of people don't really know about, or? Well, it's still, like, pretty new, right? I mean, so the article that we're talking about for the people at home is Linda Schaefer's Southernization. It was published in the Journal of World History in 1994, and you can go and look it up. Like if you just want to find it. Um, yeah. yeah. And we'll post it's, a link on whatever media. Yeah, yeah. and it's yeah. Also not super long. It's not like a big 30-page yeah. journal article. It was like six pages. No, right? it's, it's like intensely readable, and that is something yeah. that I really do admire. Like, I make my students read this article. I'm like, this is your first journal. Um, but the thing yeah. about... <sighs> But the thing about, like, district standards and everything, um, I was actually just talking about this on TikTok, is that a lot of the people who write standards for schools are not actually teachers themselves mm-hmm. they're yeah. um, or historians, right? They're politicians and other people. So they think about the stuff that they learned in school and it becomes, like, the cycle that's self-perpetuating. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And anyone that pr- kind of proposes changes that are different or disruptive... You know, is like a accolade of Hillary Clinton, and <laughs> right, you right. know um, which is which is something that a parent like accused me of when they discovered that a p history wasn't memorization. And I'm like, I wish I was in a conspiracy with Hillary Clinton. Yeah, yeah. I would like the pay would be so much better, bro. We had a a person on our board of education who said that they did not want the textbook for AP U.S. history to be used because it was quote liberal propaganda. Yeah. So that's, you know. (laughs) I I could talk about a push all day long. (laughs) Um, Let me tell you, I want to set that class on fire mostly because it's not liberal enough. (laughs) yeah 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 irony too i was like is that really do you really think that's what liberal propaganda is well i I don't think it is there's like a quote somewhere that's like the truth has a distinctly liberal lean or something like that it's basically that it's it's just a fact but like it's a fact so it is liberal propaganda (laughs) exactly exactly and and i think that's something that once kind of southernization starts trickling into mainstream school curriculums um it's Either going to be accused of being like that liberal propaganda or it will be totally not remarked upon. Um, yeah. Because the idea is that um, if you look at all of the innovations that are sort of responsible for creating our contemporary Western uh, capitalist industrial world, right, the foundations for all of those things, Schaefer argues comes from the global south which we typically think of the global south as being like impoverished in need of saving from like third world yes Mm -hmm. yes like there was air quotes there so everybody knows massive (laughs) massive air quotes okay we we are not the cia we do not use the term third world right right um So yeah, and and just about how like those processes um, that like the West was really like Europe was really a peninsula of Asia until about fifteen hundred. Um, and I actually, okay. I actually use that phrase. I don't know who came up with it, but I want to like kiss them and make sweet sweet love to the historian who who said that. Um, because i thought about that many times. Like if you look, Europe is not a continent. It's no. just part of Asia. But it's like, but white people live here, so now it's its own yeah. continent. Yeah. So, so the Ural Mountains are significant enough to separate them, but the Himalayas aren't significant enough for India, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, and that's kind of um, Schaefer's argument is that the whole foundation for modernity comes from Asia, from the global south. So, like paper money, all of those cash crops. Um, zero algebra yeah. um like the very same um maritime naval technology that like columbus and all of those other marauder explorer types that's all invented by people in like indonesia yeah, yeah. and that eventually makes its way up through to um to europe where it's disseminated and like people don't talk enough about how for example um Spain, uh, like Spain, the Iberian Peninsula was a part of a Muslim caliphate yeah. for hundreds of years. And of course they're going to have the most banging um, cartography and shipbuilding stuff and technology because they had universities and libraries mm-hmm. long yeah. before Europe, you yeah. know? Yeah. And weaponry too. And that's like part of the reason why there's such a, I, like because it's interesting because it's, when I was reading through it, um, I was telling Sarah, I was getting like pissed because I think about all of the things that like are just in our curriculum, like in my standards that are okay, when you're teaching the Age of Exploration, make sure you're talking about, like, Latin sales and, like, all the shit that the Europeans came up with. And as I'm reading this, I'm like, what the fuck? Like, and I always (laughs) knew it, that it, like, already kind of existed, but I was never explicitly taught that. So, like, nothing new came about for the Age of Exploration for the Europeans that didn't already exist. And, like, that automatically puts the Europeans in that, like, center. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's what that, like... I mean, literally fucking hundreds of years of justification, and I just did air quotes for that, yeah. <laughs> of, like, imperializing or colonizing other places is because of, quote-unquote, European superiority, which right isn't fucking real. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. and And I think that's what I that's what really blew my mind because when I read this article first in graduate school, um, I was thinking that I wanted to do like medieval studies or something because I did medieval and early modern European history in undergrad. And then I read this article and I'm like, nope, I got to (laughs) burn this shit to the ground. Um, Like there was even a part where it talks about, I think Arabs being the first people to like quote, import African slaves. And I was like, so white people didn't even invent like the most white people shit. Yeah. Like like, we couldn't even invent white supremacy. <laughs> we got the idea from someone else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, and one thing—I mean, actually, the one thing that white people did invent was that, like, slavery during this time period is a lot more of a flexible institution. Yeah, yep, yeah, and and everything. So I—I I guess, like, you know, chattel slavery. I, I was going to say, I right. feel like it was white different. people created chattel slavery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was different else. and worse. But I was just like, man, the most like white people thing of like <sighs> quote importing African slaves. We still. Oh, we're like well that's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um and it really it is just it is just the worst. Um and it I have a whole course centered around this idea of southernization. It's um the global Middle Ages and right now we're reading a book about African history called The Golden Rhinoceros. Okay. And it's, it's so good. I I highly recommend it. Um and it's fascinating to see my students' faces as they're like the first university was invented in North Africa by a woman. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Hmm, Like, yeah, yeah. Um, And then then there was the day when they found out that the first person to articulate, like, basically what would become capitalism, the idea that labor is what makes objects valuable Mm -hmm. and skills, um, that's uh, a guy named Ibn Khaldun, and he's writing in, like, 1300 in this work called The Macadimah. And to have them be, like... Europe invented nothing. It's like, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's, mm-hmm. that's absolutely correct. Yeah. Um, And so, I, I, I love it. So just a question, because I think, um, unless you know, mm-hmm. I guess, geography or like the world, you like wouldn't think this way, but like, I just kind of glanced at my map and I was like, okay, what would be the definition of the global South? So if you could explain to people like, okay, this is how we identify it being a Southern Location, like, what would those locations include? So, like, um, the Global South would be, like, I'm trying to think. So the Global South is basically going to be any countries that aren't, like, Western Europe, the United States, Canada, Australia, Mm -hmm. like, the white countries. Right, right. Basically, that's um, that's kind of how I, I think of it, like that global north-south divide, if that makes sense, southern hemisphere versus northern hemisphere. Yeah. Except for no one is willing to count, you know, the um, the Sahara regions of North Africa, because of course. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so fucking racist. Like, mm-hmm. it's just like, and this is going to be like the whitest thing I've probably ever said, but like... Probably not, but, like, how the fuck does that happen, right? Like, throughout the whole article, and again, I'll share the link out for everyone to take a look at, but, like, it kept saying, like, it wasn't until the Industrial Revolution, which was the, what, fucking 1700s, that, like, the British did this or whatever. Like, so it's clear that, like, I was thinking a lot because I teach the kids about um, India, and we talk, you know, as quickly as we can, but as, like, in-depth as we can about how much was really taken away from the Indians when the British like hyper colonized, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. you know, and it's interesting cause the way that, and I kind of wrote that in my notes too, like the way that the British treat the Indians versus how they treat other like colonies that they conquer is very unique because like there's mm-hmm. this weird reverence for them, but then there's also this, like, I'm still ripping away like really critical parts of not Mm -hmm. just your culture but your economy so Mm -hmm. like I try to emphasize with kids like okay the fact that that's where cloth was produced Mm -hmm. but like when we talk about it in world history today like you talk about like the English you know cloth like textile factories and Mm -hmm. shit right so it's just interesting how much was really like taken but it was taken so late Hmm, and and I think that you also have to consider like the role of mercantilism in all of yeah. this. Yeah, Um, as well. Like if sometimes I, the, mercantilism is just so astonishing to me because it's like someone actually had an idea worse than capitalism. You know? right. It's like <laughs> oh. Oh, like capitalism looks, looks like good. Good. Yeah. yeah. Like if I yeah. Had to pick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if if i had a pick like yeah. I, yeah I will take it yeah and and to me i think that is is probably what what gets to me the most is that you see that there is a thriving um pre-industrial indian economy like india isn't industrial in the way that we think of like a coal pay, a coal-based industrial revolution like right. uh, manchester or massachusetts or whatever mm-hmm. but like india really clothed the world for you know like 1500 years Yeah. and mm-hmm and and people had like a whole system of of functioning trade that that was happening in the Indian Ocean region and it is weird when you think about how we don't f- talk about european exploration as being disruptive and right. like Bad, not yeah, too bad. bad, but but disruptive, and I would say like detrimental to the to like pre-industrial world systems. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting too, like from where I am in a public school education, you've always had to tread very carefully and kind of just hope to God that kids understood that imperialism was bad. Yeah, and you had to like I have to present both sides of the argument and whatever, <gasps> and which is uh, like fucking absurd, yeah, right? I don't, I don't wanna... like. In the last year, right, because of everything that's been going on with just people waking the fuck up, um, and especially in education, in the, public's, like, s- the public sector, I guess, mm-hmm. I told my kids flat out, I was like, there's nothing positive about imperialism. Yeah. Like, I'm not yeah. going to, like, pretend, like, I can teach you. They built canals and roads yeah. and brought medicine, because, like, fucking, to be honest with you none of those things like mattered. They were only for like the benefit of the Europeans conquering them. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, they can't be justified away to be like, and also they ripped away their economy, their culture, their belief system, mm-hmm. their like political structure. Like, mm-hmm. and, and I- if I have to like present both sides and don't want to, I just do a like, well, proponents would argue this, this, and this. Yeah, like, yeah, I'm not yeah. telling you it's true, but like, people in favor would say this. Yes. And here's why they're wrong, but they would say this. So now you know both sides of the argument. You right. just also know which one's right. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know if this will make you feel better or worse, but I know that Newt Gingrich, <laughs> Newt Gingrich wrote his uh, dissertation about the benefits of imperialism and colonialism in the Congo. As in, like, the Belgians cutting off. Sorry, I had to, like, swallow my coffee because I was either going to spit it out. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And, like, I should tell your listeners that I'm laughing because I don't know what else to do. Yeah, Yeah, it's just so, like, it's satire. Like, it sounds fake. Yeah, it really, it does sound fake. It and yet it is very real. And, and this is right. kind of like what we have to wrestle with as educators is that like, you know, the truth and then there's, and then there is what the people that, you know, write your checks want you to say. Right. And like, I'm fortunate enough to work at an institution where they're like, you're a professional, you do you boo. Yeah. Um, What a treat that would be. (laughs) But like, it's also, it's also really paralyzing because for most of my career, I had absolutely no freedom. Yeah. So now that I'm allowed to like tell the truth, it's like, what, what, what do I do? It would probably be like jarring. Yeah, it is. It is extremely jarring to like have freedom and to be able to, to kind of do what I like, you know? Yeah. Um... But it is fascinating, especially, you know, when you think about because Southernization is really talking about like the a time period beginning around like the 8th century-ish to about like 1500-ish, right? And so everyone thinks about the Renaissance just popping up out of nowhere. And you mm-hmm. have to think about how the Renaissance is really kind of the culmination of all of these different... Um, all of these different things that are coming from Asia and the global South up to Europe right. and then are going to mm-hmm. culminate, right? Yeah, which is, like, even when I teach the kids the Renaissance stuff, again, we have, like, a week to do it, so it's like, what the fuck am I even doing? Uh-huh. Um, a lot <laughs> of it is focused... Thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> here's, here's a lot of shit in a very short amount of time. And also, none of this actually mattered or happened for most people. Um, <laughs> But, like, it's we fine. talk a lot about how... It does start in the Mediterranean and in Italy Mm -hmm. and then makes its way up further. And it's actually interesting because we technically have in a lot of ways discussed Southernization, but Mm -hmm. never actually identified it as being that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and explicitly said that, you know, like um Schaefer doesn't talk about you know the house of wisdom in Baghdad but yet you think about like all of the texts that were translated into Arabic and that were saved by the caliphates Mm -hmm. that eventually make their way to Western Europe right you know or um the work of various Muslim scholars and cartographers and stuff that make their way to Europe and pave the way you're like oh Oh. You know, but they just yeah. changed their name to like some white latin shit so that yeah. way like like Ibn Sina is Avicenna uh Avancina. <laughs> and you're like Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's a lot. Um but it is truly fascinating especially because um when you think about India and sort of, like, having this pre-industrial economy and basically clothing the whole world with cotton textiles, you also have to think about what's happening in China in the Song Dynasty mm-hmm. and how the Song Dynasty is essentially an industrial revolution, but without the kind of, like, steam-powered, mm-hmm. like, machinery that we kind of associate with it, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, And there are all of these texts and they're like, why didn't China have an industrial revolution? China did have an industrial revolution. They just didn't like make big machines because they have a massive country and they're like, we'll throw more peasants at this problem. Mm -hmm. You know, like there's (laughs) always someone, we can hire more people. Why, why do we, why do we need to innovate? Like this is working fine. Yeah. 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 Although I wouldn't want to throw peasants at anything. That's no, but yeah. I just worry like I'm thinking about all of the things that I say just casually and now like, and people oh, are God. like I know sometimes I'm, when I say shit I'm like oh fuck do people really think I feel that way and I'm like people can't see my facial expressions like mm-hmm. when I'm recording stuff too and I when I go back and listen I'm like oh shit yeah I, I do that too I just flip it <laughs> yeah. say things and I'm like wait but that's not what I meant I was like yeah yeah making fun of it Right. Right. <laughs> well, and that's one of the problems about teaching in a pandemic, right? Is that I'm wearing a mask because I'm teaching hybrid. Yep. And so yeah. I, I make like a lot of the gym looks at the camera at the office faces <laughs> mm-hmm. at my students while I say things. Yeah. And that just gets lost in translation. So I have to say, like, guys, I'm looking at you like we're right. on the office. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Please know. It's, no. true. it's I don't like mean and that. do you feel like your students respond well to this like information like when you teach stuff like you know the global middle ages or when you touch upon things from the southernization article like do you feel like they respond well to it because they haven't I mean haven't they really been exposed to world history much prior to this class So it kind of depends. Um, My students in general respond really well to it. Most of them are mad when they discover how like unknowingly Eurocentric Mm -hmm. and like white centered all of their histories are. And Mm -hmm. they're like, what the fuck? Um, But they're really into it. And I, I think that it also really appeals to teens because they like anything that kind of like shits on older people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like and undercuts that, like, what they were told. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and like and it's it's this idea that it's like forbidden secret knowledge, you know? Mm-hmm. Right? That's why that's why part of me um is like sort of thankful for um for president trump's like persecution of proper history teaching techniques because <laughs> sometimes like I'll slide in a class like I know my lesson's going to be boring but necessary and I'll be like all right guys it's time to do some forbidden history critical thinking like clickbait school it's like the history trump doesn't want you to know yes yes <laughs> yes that's so exactly exactly that's and and it is very it, i I do teach it like very clickbaity but I don't care. Yeah. Um, Because it because it does work, you know? Or where if they like really respond to a lesson, I'll be like, so um, just so you know, um, this is a history lesson that the federal government doesn't want me to teach to you because it uses like the 1619 project or whatever stuff that they're rejecting. Yeah. Um even though the 1619 project is beautiful and I love it. I know it's frustrating because it's like when you look at I don't even know how to word this other than like why not just expose history for history like do you know what Mm -hmm. I mean like what is the fear like do you think the fear is that like losing the so-called power that Europeans or white people have kind of gotten over time because they've always been like I I had a comment in my notes that was like um is this, do you think that this is a reflection of like Europeans getting so much of a say because it's like, and again, I'm putting air quotes in here, like history is written by the winners. Like, do you feel like that yeah. could be a yeah. big part of it? Yeah. I, I do think a lot of it is, is like that, that idea from Winston Churchill that like history is written by the winners. Mm-hmm. Um, And like, it's, you know, Churchill never said it was good history. Right. 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 Um, right. And it and it is it is interesting to sort of think about how how kind of skewed all of our histories really are. Actually, um, this is a good way to work in talking about the Mongols, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because when we're when we're thinking about the sort of peoples that are responsible for stabilizing the trade routes that stretch from Asia to Western Europe, it really is like the Caliphates, it's the Mongols, um, it's the Byzantine Empire, and it's all of these. Um, portions of history that are not covered in conventional school curriculums, you know, Mm -hmm. and a lot of the histories of like the Mongols, for example, um, the Mongol secret history, um, was not made widely available until like the 2000s, you know, like fairly recently. So all of the histories that we have of the Mongols are written by the people that they defeated. Right. So, so, like, you get this really awful kind of view of the Mongols, and then when you read their histories, they are obviously the heroes. And it really drives home the fact that, like, you can't, trust like historical sources from one side or another that in order to get the full picture you have to kind of look at everybody mm-hmm. and yeah. i i think that is very disconcerting um especially to americans because americans are very attached to this cold war vision of ourselves as the heroes yeah and mm-hmm. the words of justice you know like that whole um i think it's like william perry is the guy who who popularized um the Puritan idea of the city upon the hill. He's like this Harvard historian and he he's the one that sort of took like the John Winthrop speech and like made it a centerpiece of his history, like this um, errand into the wilderness. Um, that's what the book's called. Mm-hmm. And I feel like most American histories are kind of centered around this idea of like Europeans and particularly Americans are carving out civilization in a wilderness And that's just, like, not the case. And anything that attacks that narrative attacks people's identities. Because then we have to confront the fact that our entire society and, you know, who we are in everyday life is actually built upon a foundation of enslavement and injustice and racism and exploitation. Yeah. It'd be interesting. I genuinely have no clue, like what it would be like to take a world history class in China or in India or Mm -hmm. something like that. Because I know to some extent America's narrative affects the narrative Mm -hmm. in a lot of other Mm -hmm. countries, Um, especially like India that was heavily colonized or something like Mm -hmm. that. So I I genuinely have no clue, but it'd be interesting to know how their world history like textbooks read. (sighs) Yeah, so like the history of education, there are actually people that have gone and done studies of those textbooks and it really is fascinating. Um, Like you can say it with American history textbooks that like for a while up through like, the early 1900s America was describing itself as like an empire Mm -hmm. as being like all of the other imperial nations. And then all of a sudden we make this pivot to being exceptional and Mm -hmm. to not be we're not like all the other girls, you know? (laughs) Yeah. 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 And it really, you can learn a lot about a nation's character by looking at the things that they teach their children. Right. Yeah, um, I think, like, there's a big narrative in the United States, too, of, like, this underdog mentality that it's, mm-hmm. like, right? Like, you see it mm-hmm. even in shit like Hamilton, where it's, like, this American mm-hmm. experiment, like, yeah. democracy and shit. But, like, in reality, what's the fucking experiment, Do you know? Right. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I just want to be, like, the Dutch Republic is on the phone. And, and, right. And, 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 <laughs> right. Right. I'm, I'm sorry, the, the Dutch Republic has some strong words for you, or or it could just be how Dutch sounds. Like, I I don't, right. know. They sound I don't mad, really know. I don't really know what they're saying, but I know what they're saying. Yeah. They, they sound mad, but they could also be saying that they legalized weed and gay marriage before everyone else. Yeah. And they're, yeah, I think yeah. it's just so, you're right, there really is. And even that comes from just the Southernization article, right? Like, it's yeah. literally mm-hmm. just this gradual, mm-hmm. like, it's almost like continuous like appropriation of other yes. shit yeah. yeah yeah it is definitely appropriation and and it's like you know Europe just didn't cite its sources yes yeah <laughs> Europe and Europe, then America didn't cite its sources and, yeah. from Europe and that was yeah, just this, right. like whole yeah. fucking mess yes yeah absolutely when I feel like as an American it's really hard to comprehend like how Old other parts of the world are yeah like it's a couple hundred years old and we're kind of like okay I can go back to like the 1500s or so Mm -hmm. and that makes sense to me right like about the 1500s is like really long time ago and there's so much before that but I feel like we almost just can't take it in because it's outside of our like realm of knowledge so I'm like well if it was before that it doesn't count and so then like we came in the 1700s and then like Whatever happened is the first time it happened because I don't want to think about it. <laughs> yeah. And to me, I don't know. I, I'm also like the person that gets really emotional about like cave paintings. Um, like <laughs> no, I didn't seriously. know there was a type of person like that, but I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Like yeah. I never would have thought of that. But yeah. but like, I mean, yeah. the like I was showing my students these paintings of the caves of Lescaux in France. And there's this one cave painting that I found while I was looking for good images. For my Google Slides, and there's just this tiny little hand, oh. like the, oh. it's a hand, yeah. And you're like, there was a kid at that cave, yes. and they were there, <laughs> passing down knowledge to another. <laughs> <laughs> You know? Oh <laughs> yes, yeah. I totally understand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But but even in terms of, you know, like cave paintings, if you look at some of the recent finds in um in South America, right? They're calling it the Sistine Chapel of whatever. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and I think it really drives home the, that for most people, the only way to make a non-Western history relevant is to compare it to something that is white right. and Western. And Which uh, is, like, on one hand, it's I feel like the way to understand anything is to compare it to something you know. Mm-hmm. The problem is that the only thing we know is the Sistine Chapel. Yeah, yeah. Like, when there's surely other things to compare it to, I get where that's the framework you use, but why yeah. is that the only thing we know? Exactly. Right. And mm-hmm. it, and world history, you know, it asks not just to question the framework, but it's trying to break and expand that framework. Yeah. Um, and that's why I really, really love it, you know. Um, and thinking about... Um, and thinking about the connections between all of these places too, as well, like Europe for the most part during the Middle Ages was not a part of like this big, vibrant global trade that existed mm-hmm, in right. the post-classical medieval period, right? But then you have stuff um, like in um, in Southernization, she quotes this caliph who says, this is the Tigris River. There is no obstacle between us in and China. Everything on the sea can come to us. And so there is like that knowledge of other peoples and other countries and those cross-cultural connections do exist. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And I feel like it's really important to talk about the connectedness between all of these different people and places even if it's, you know, indirect, even if you just have to say, like, so we're going to talk about how citrus came from, like, Indonesia oh, yeah. and, right. you know, and how it made its way. And, you know, like, I have my students map where all of their food comes from and and how it That's moves, cool. mm-hmm. but but it makes sense. You know? Well, it's interesting too, because I think I literally just taught the imperialism unit, which is why this is all like fresh in my brain. But so much of the justification for it was also this idea of globalizing the places that they were colonizing, which is so absurd too because like there's so much evidence that is contradictory do you know what I mean like it's yeah, so fucking yeah. evident that they were way more global than Europe even was like yeah yeah It. so I'm working on a class about like the global early modern period and I want to start with talking about Zheng Ha even though so for any of your listeners that don't know Zheng Ha is a um, is a eunuch Muslim sea captain who mm-hmm. worked for the Jung La Emperor of China during the Ming period. And he traveled throughout the Indian Ocean and basically did like exploration better than Europeans. Like his ships were 400 feet long with yep. blood red sails. Um, you know, he had like 10,000 of these ships. It's like big, big China energy. <laughs> and um, <laughs> it's from uh, what was he again? How, how did you describe him like perfectly? Um, he's, he's a, he's a Muslim eunuch, yes. uh, Chinese Muslim sea eunuch Chinese sea captain. Yes. I feel like that yeah. would be his like little bio under his like yeah. Twitter handle. Yeah. Where, where is Lin-Manuel to write like the, you know, <laughs> that musical? he was a Muslim eunuch yeah. <laughs> of a sea captain. I would like to apologize to all rappers ever. What <laughs> you do is an art and what I did was a hate crime. <laughs> And I'm not minimizing hate crimes. I expect to be pr- prosecuted for what I just did. Um, you know, I mean, but, I'd watch that musical. I, I mean, I would. So. T- I I think Jung Ha is fascinating because, you know, um, as a part of his journeys, um, I I had my students read portions of the histories of Jung Ha written by this guy named Ah. Uh, ha ma huang i think i'm saying that right i apologize to china and and they were talking about how like they brought back to beijing you know like i'm trying to remember i think it was yeah they brought back like giraffes and elephants and they brought african uh like zookeepers with them to china to care (laughs) for these animals you know yeah so it's like there were African people chilling out in Beijing. Or if you think about cities like uh, Chang'an, for example, where the Silk Roads end, air Mm -hmm. quotes, you know, Mm -hmm. like uh, Chang'an has Muslims, Christians. There are even some Jews. um, Ooh. (laughs) Buddhist. I know Jewish people are everywhere in world history and it's so good. (laughs) I love, I love finding Jewish people everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, but like everyone is so, is so interconnected and, and it just kind of goes to show that europe or at least a lot of europeans despite being the most educated are are really not they're only educated about the things that they find to be important you know well it's interesting yeah. cuz like they're again I, you just described a world that was like way more interconnected than i feel like we, we are today yeah there's such mm-hmm. a like distinction between like where you come from and mm-hmm. and i think that that's so telling of how european involvement in all of these places like really just made that us versus them kind of mentality yeah yeah Yeah. and and the reality is that everyone is really interconnected like um like in the golden rhinoceros um the book that i'm reading with my students there's this story we only have like a third of the story but this is good like someone's (laughs) about to get pregnant so there's I got to write this down. This sounds fucking <laughs> like, cool as hell. The, it's a the golden, golden is, rhinoceros? Yes, it's a banger. I love reading it with my kids. And I'm sure people who are listening are like, she's a teacher and talks like this. I do. Yeah. And I was a teacher of the year nominee two years. So fair. <laughs> and I lost because I forgot to vote for myself both times. <laughs> <laughs> It was by one vote, and it could have been you. Yes. Yes. I was, like, someone told me that both times to, like, make me feel better, and later on I was like, oh, I didn't vote. That's giving me very strong Bobby Newport vibes when he votes for Leslie in the Pawnee elections. Like, that's where I'm at right now. See, and I've been watching Golden Girls, so they, like, just had this episode where they had to vote on who had to move out and everybody voted for the same person and they were like why'd you vote for yourself (laughs) and she said i thought everyone would vote for rose and it would hurt her feelings (laughs) (laughs) so that's all i've got that's fantastic that's honestly very me uh Um, yeah um so there's this story it's like chapter 15 and it's about this um jewish dude who's born in like algeria or what we now call algeria and he's somewhere in the east coast of africa like as far away from everyone as you can get and he gets this uh woman who is south asian pregnant and then basically abandons her on the beach cool terrible right so men have always been trash is that what we're getting all men suck absolutely men men have always been trash but then (laughs) this young woman manages to get a hold of his family in cairo right gets wow yeah through, because you have all of these merchant trade routes. Right, so yeah. She, so she gets an advocate to contact his family in Cairo, who then contacts him where he's living in like Algeria, maybe the Sudan, I can't remember. And then, is, and then shakes him down for money. It's <laughs> oh, like, shit. you got this girl pregnant, you're going to court. And so wow. even though she is half a world away, she is like, getting her bag she yeah, is getting justice yeah. for herself and and i think that is such a fascinating story and those are those to me are the stories that are the most important because that's something that everyone can relate to we've mm-hmm. all known someone in that situation yeah. we've all gotten right? knocked up and left on a beach Hey, hey now. Just Let's, like an everyday Tuesday for me, really. Yeah, so. look, look, I wasn't doing a lot when I was 13. Okay. <laughs> I was the most boring 13 year old. Oh my God, me too. Oh, same. I was just talking to my mom about that. And we were looking at my old yearbook, and I was like, wow, I really was fucking lame. Like, oh, I yeah. didn't do anything wrong. My, my mom in high school would literally be like, is there a party you want to go to? Cause I can come pick you up if yep. you're drunk or whatever. And I was like, no, I'll just be here on Live Journal
1: yeah exactly yeah. i'm actually working
0: on something really good for my harry potter fan fiction yeah so. yeah so right. sorry like, mm. i'm writing i'm writing high quality draco hermione right now <laughs> yeah i, I was a marauders kind of gal i just yeah. loved the 70s i don't know why but i was like uh, <laughs> oh god but yeah that I was just lost like 12 listeners in that single moment of <laughs> no it's, it's fine it's fine, <laughs> it's fine. i'll I'm still here. I'm still listening. (laughs) It's Amy. The way I know Amy is from like a line at Dragon Con. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess I wasn't in the line. Our friend was in the line. but And then we just like adopted Amy. Yeah. So it's always been this way. I don't know what that is. It's an Atlanta Comic Con. Okay, okay. Mm -hmm. Um, It's like our annual okay so it's not convention. just dragons it can be all types of no that. it's like normal sci-fi all that okay. it was a line Like, wow sci-fi. the cons are getting very specific what? as to say was it yeah. very... the 100 was that the line yeah yeah it was yeah. The 100 oh okay. I yeah. can't i can't talk about the one hundred, no, but that is how we, so it's we've always been this way it yeah like, what, what a yeah. niche con yeah <laughs> <laughs> just um, dragons dragons only yeah. Well, and I I feel like most fantasy and science fiction is really an opportunity to talk with humans about all of the shit that we've done in the past, but in a mm-hmm. way that isn't going to get us pulled up in front of a congressional oversight committee, right? And and have <laughs> Ted Cruz be like traitorous whore. <laughs> I totally got some crucible vibes just now too. Like, yeah, I mean, like, but I Ted get crucible Cruz, vibes from Ted Cruz. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, Cruz is Danforth and like anybody can fucking fight me on it because yeah. like just hearing yeah. you say that, I was like, that's 1000% it. Absolutely. Um, so I had a, th- I had a question while I was reading yeah. this and kind of listening to you talk too. I guess as a teacher, and this is a, like, this is maybe a heavy question or maybe it's not, and I'm just <laughs> making it more than it is. What is the ideal way do you think to teach kids world history? Like what do you, like if you could just create, the perfect curriculum for students, like across the years, like doesn't matter, like how would you go about doing it? Um, I would have it centered on historical thinking skills, truly. So like um, contextualization, comparison, talking about continuities and changes over time. And then it would be centered on primary sources and teaching students how to look at different sources and ask about like, who is the intended audience? What is the purpose of this document? What is this document saying, or what is it saying? But also, what is it not saying? What information do I know from outside of this document that they're leaving out? Mm -hmm. And to sort of teach students to read against the grain of a text. And that everything comes with its own set of biases and perspectives and whatnot. And I think that, that to me would be like the most, that would be the best way to teach world history. Yeah, and it, we actually—that's what um, we do. Like hippo analysis. Hippo. Yeah. 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 So that's um, hist- uh, it's historical context, intended audience, purpose, mm-hmm. point of point view, of- and then if you want to do the oh it's outside information yeah yeah and that and that's pretty much what i teach my students of all levels is basically hippo um and like every every lesson is centered around like a different historical thinking skill and i bring in like a different document every day and i'm like all right we're gonna look at you know like this map right they're like what the fuck does this map have to do with this and then by the end they're like oh Mm -hmm. even maps have a western and white bias that that was the other day (laughs) yeah i'm like yeah let's go let's go dig up mercator's body and fight him (laughs) fight him (laughs) fight mercator this is now an archaeology class (laughs) yep um it's it's now history and necromancy Mm, Um, that's cool as shit i'm also writing that down now (laughs) history history and and necromancy necromancy. (laughs) you know and it's actually so just thinking about making people proud because like my twitter bio says that i just want to make janet abu lagode proud um southernization there's also another book that is like very critical to how I teach and everything. Um, And that's called European before, or I'm sorry, the world before, uh, I cannot talk. It's (laughs) the world before fart noise. Yes, Yes, the world before fart noise. (laughs) I am so sorry, Dr. (laughs) Abu-Lago. I love it. (laughs) Um, It's called um, Before European Hegemony. And it's basically talking about all of these, all of the things that Linda Schaefer is outlining, but expanding Mm -hmm. them from beyond just like how Schaefer is concentrating in the Indian Ocean region. But she talks about, you know, like the Mongols and North Africa and Baghdad and Cairo. And it's that kind of interconnectedness that I think is Mm -hmm. really vital to teaching history well to students, Mm -hmm. besides like the primary sources and the historical thinking skills, is that I think, I think students need to know that we're all connected to each other, even if we don't like it, even if that means we're connected to Ted Cruz. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we still are all here. Like we are still all a part of this global system that's existed longer than we actually realized. Yeah. Yeah yeah that's super deep that's cool. yeah, yeah i love it i know yeah that's why I love that actually is history. funny because that actually answered one of my last questions or thoughts like why do you feel like learning about southernization matters and like how do you think that if we really focus on that like it would change mm. the way mm. that we just mm. get history Well, I also think that, like, if we were to use Southernization in other narratives, like, it's my belief that most classrooms, especially... Um, you know taxpayer funded state sponsored schools are are sites of like racial and colonial violence against uh bi poc students right mm-hmm. this idea that their ancestors needed to be saved or whatever mm-hmm. and instead what southernization does is it decenters europe and it gives you an opportunity to look at bi poc individuals as being more than just like enslaved or exploited mm-hmm but as innovators and as essential to the development of the world that we have today. And I think that's incredibly important, you know, like, and when I have those ideas and those feelings as like a white woman, I can't imagine what it's like for, for anyone not white in a classroom, learning a curriculum that is centered around people that don't look like you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know that that don't have your experiences, and a curriculum that sort of denies your reality. If that yeah. makes sense,
1: mm-hmm.
0: so, yeah. yeah. And it's it's like um, it's almost like revisionist history, and being yeah. aware of that, and just having mm-hmm. to be like okay with it. Yeah, exactly. You know, just, yeah, yeah. I think we actually are doing a lot of work too, like in my district at least, with understanding that in and in, in the way of trauma. Yes, I don't think that a lot of teachers recognize that that is traumatic, mostly because if you look at the teachers, at least in our district, like, we're all white women, or white men. So it's like, we don't really think about it. In that way, yeah. yeah. I mean, like my my last history department was all white men and mm-hmm. like two women. Yeah, I mean, I didn't have I didn't have a black coworker that I worked with every day until until I changed to like my private school. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. I didn't have any coworkers that were gay. Mm-hmm. Until- Which, on the the black coworker note, like we live in Atlanta. I know we live in we, Atlanta. <laughs> we don't live somewhere that is just like a very white area <laughs> we yeah. live in atlanta so to not have a black co-worker i yeah. feel like you have to try really hard you do to have to try not really have hard. a black person work there yeah and yeah. i should say that like i actually do live in atlanta i i live in the city of atlanta i don't live like 45 minutes outside of Atlanta right. and claim to live in atlanta right you're you're in it i'm like 15 minutes outside of atlanta but you're in yeah. like atlanta proper yeah yeah like i see donald glover around like not to brag (laughs) not to brag just gonna quickly name drop uh (laughs) friends with donald glover basically um i've seen the back of his head oh my god (laughs) my old co-worker lives across the street from him that's amazing i wouldn't i wouldn't get anything done i would just yeah he's like come to her little porch part when you could have porch parties he would come oh my god a porch party sounds like the most southern thing imaginable (laughs) It is. Yeah, I don't yes know what it. it is, but I'm just assuming that it's a party on your porch. Yeah, it was just yeah. people like hanging out on the porch when it was yeah. nice out. Yep, that is basically it. Um, oh. In New Jersey, we have like Bon Jovi. <laughs> <laughs> like I was, I used to the town I used to live in. I went to the gym one time, and my mom was like, "Holy shit, look next to you!" And I was like, and I just slowly I'm like okay she's like do you know who that is I'm like no he's just like a dirty old man it's fucking Bruce Springsteen <laughs> <laughs> and like everyone's like looking at him and like talking and like my hypersensitive ass was like everyone could see me on the elliptical everyone's no. staring at me and meanwhile it's because fucking Bruce Springsteen is right next to me and I, I, I mean think, that I had no idea who he was I don't think I would recognize like I know who Bruce Springsteen is but I don't I think, think, I think I would recognize, recognize him. Right. him on site one sec we I have something to- cool run to the bathroom but then i'm gonna tell you my amazing story about john lewis yes oh my god yes that's fantastic atlanta always has a john lewis story i feel like (sighs) that's so cool One hundred and one. because i saw him a couple times that's so cool yeah i also think living in a city like that kind
1: of stuff helps yeah
0: it's just, Atlanta's so weird because then you do go, like, right outside of it and it's not, like, a very diverse open area. Yeah. But
1: in Atlanta it is.
0: <laughs> I ran into my boss this morning at the grocery store and both of us looked like fucking scrubs and, <laughs> like... Neither one of... We said hi to each other. And I was like, hey, Colin. He's like, hey. And I was like, happy Valentine's Day. He's like, yeah, you too. Because I hadn't gotten Erica Card yet because I'm the worst fucking wife ever. And I was just like (laughs) not feeling it this year. It's also our first married Valentine's Day. And I'm just like... And I'm like, hey, Colin. He's like, yeah, my kids wanted bacon and eggs. And I was like, okay. Okay. (laughs) Both of us are like, all right, have a good day. (laughs) I feel like with masks, you can just pretend you don't know they're someone you know. I almost did, but then we made eye contact twice, and I was like, there's nothing I can do. Yeah. Oh, masks. All right. Okay. So John here, Lewis. John yes. Lewis. All right. Yes. So there is, there was a nail salon by my old house by the Whole Foods in Midtown Atlanta that I would go to. And I was sitting there getting a manicure and a pedicure. And they had on the news. And of course it's all Trump. And I'm just like, motherfucker. And then all of a sudden, John Lewis walks in. <laughs> Holy and john shit. lewis sits next to me and he gets like the old guy i have diabetes um pedicure mm-hmm. to like yes. ensure circulation mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he tips 100% he knows Shoot. everyone's name wow. he um Ugh. when when trump was on television he just kind of went like that old guy mm, noise yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I just like smiled at him because when you live when before um before Mr. Lewis passed, you would see him all over town. Like right. he would go to yeah. local high school football games, rummage sales. You would see him everywhere. Wow. Um, like I marched in pride with him. But, yeah, so i got a I got a manicure and a pedicure right next That's to him good, cause That's I had incredible. The typical, like I've seen him at Pride. I saw him at the March for Our Lives yeah um and i think the woman's march may be different yeah. stuff like that but yeah. never getting a manicure pedicure which is the but ever. but also like if anyone needed a pedicure it's mr john lewis because yeah marched everywhere for this contract that's true yeah he needed like some feet care he needs a foot rub i yeah. he is getting a lot of foot rubs wherever i'm sure wherever he is we go after we die yeah. i love john lewis. it's just one giant nail salon yeah, like a big Which actually sounds pretty fucking yeah, good. A big that sounds like, amazing. I'm really happy about that version of heaven in my head. Like, yeah. you know, the angel Gabriel's looking at your cuticles and is like, "Uh, oh, what are you? Honey, doing? no what is going on here?" <laughs> Stop <laughs> it. <laughs> Why did I just picture Gabriel incredibly gay? Like, I that's literally what just happened. Because he's judging your cuticles. That's probably. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, like you know, ga- uh, like angels are beautiful and terrible to behold, and not of any form that humans understand or recognize. Right. And to me, that sounds like heterosexuals trying to understand the LGBT. Yes, community. a thousand fucking percent. Valin. Yeah, very valid. As as like a queer woman, yeah, that's yeah. I I, I feel very seen by like biblical angels, <laughs> and understood. That's great. That's fantastic. I love that. Wait, I remembered we have a fun question for you. Yes, I was was going to say, we have, we have. uh, All right, you do the fun question. Okay. Yeah, do the fun question. So who is, this is going to be hard because it's a low bar, but who's the worst man in history, barring, we've decided, like, Hitler and Mussolini, like. Like, Stalin, like, they're all out. We know that. Right, like, not by body count. Just, like, who's the biggest fuck boy in history? <laughs> um honestly I would have to say Thomas Jefferson and mm-hmm. and and this to me is as someone who will de- like I feel like I was put on this earth to look after teenage girls in mm-hmm. particular and so like Sally Hemings was 14 years old when Jefferson began to sexually pursue her and people don't talk about how Sally Hemings looked exactly like his dead wife because 14 year old Sally Hemings was his dead wife's sister and she was given to Jefferson oh. by his mother-in-law because she didn't want to have Sally around because Sally is a reminder that her husband, husband raped enslaved women, you know? Yeah. And, like, and just the language that people use to talk about Sally Hemings really bothers me because they describe it as, like, a love affair yeah. or yeah. that she's his mistress. And I'm like, she's 14, right? yeah, She's 14 and she is owned by him. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I would say that Jefferson is a f- fuckboy, but I would also say, actually, I'm going to extend this to Jefferson biographers. Like, any <laughs> anyone who wrote a biography of <laughs> Thomas Jefferson, Jefferson and described Sally Hemings as, like, his mistress or whatever yeah. and didn't talk about how, like, he raped a child right. is actually the worst fuckboy in history. Like, biographers that do that are the reason why we have... Which is, like, perpetuate this, like, yes. shit. Yeah. Because yeah, right, it's yeah. one thing, like... Like at the time, I'm sure people didn't see it as the way we right. see it now, but like yeah. people today are still like, so his little girlfriend, Sally Hemings, i don't like, like, yeah. No, like I remember I read a biography about Winston Churchill that just completely negated him talking, them talking about like the famine and shit. And I was oh, yeah. like, yeah fucking pissed cuz i love churchill and then i read that and i was like how the fuck did i read an entire biography and not actually learn the truth about him and now i fucking hate him like I was god say, damn say, also it. a fuckboy that's what yeah. i'm saying but the fact yeah. that they could fucking perpetuate that like mm-hmm. whatever yeah. and just leave that part out like how do you do that yeah. story justice yeah and so like i i think that biographers are are really kind of the the fuckboys of history because they take out all of those things like no one um I had a whole rant on my TikTok about how, like, Black History Month, when you think about it, American Black History Month centers Lincoln-freeing enslaved peoples. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yet no one talks about how, like, all of the foundational work was done by Black abolitionists. Right. Literally giving a white guy... There's fucking Black History Month. We get Harriet Tubman. Just that one. That's the one that we know is, like, you you are, like, a Black abolitionist who freed the slaves. It was you and Lincoln. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, like, yeah exactly. exactly. It's just so like, okay. it was just Harry in, Tubman and Lake Lincoln in like a buddy cop comedy. Honestly, that is most Black History Month curriculum. And. Yeah. And I don't know, like this year, it just hit a lot harder how much our Black history curriculum centers whiteness. Yes. Yeah. And, um, yeah. and sort of like what is comfortable for white people to hear about yeah. Black history. And I'm like, bitch, I'm going to tell you about the like beautiful cities in East Africa that were built out of stones Yeah. And the mosques. Yeah. And how the British went there and saw these beautiful stone buildings and were like, they're buildings made of stone. A white person must have built this. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's bullshit. That was like a really long rant. No, No, that was was great. great. It was, it was great. And that was that was why it was our fun question. Yeah. I, yeah. We were just like who's the worst man? I mean, biographers are the worst yeah. worst men. Um, although I will say I read an excellent biography of um George Washington by Alexis Co. called You Never Forget Your First. I've oh. heard of that, I feel like. It is that's marvelous. a great title for yes, Yes. Um, when I tried to do like a book club for it at my school, everyone is like what is um, the title and I'm like it's about George Washington We <laughs> teach children we know that like you can be radical but we're just like a touch it's your first president bar. obviously yeah. <laughs> yeah um and so it was like me and this one student who I absolutely love Kaya um oh I shouldn't have said their name me and this one student company. we'll edit it out in post yeah yes. it'll be fine um we read that book over the summer together and talked about cute. it cute <laughs> yeah it was fun <sighs> All right. I mean, this was fucking awesome. Yeah, thank you I so much. Back anytime I had so much fun. We I will just, make it. We would love we just that. yell so, about history. Every yeah. where can people find you if they want to like stalk your brain? Like, what can they like? Where can they go? Yes. That's like your professional. Please yes. do. Please yes. do. There's so a TikTok you... we've heard about. Yes. 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 Yep. <laughs> so you can find me on TikTok. It's Amy Elizabeth E L I Z A B E T H seven seven zero on TikTok. You can find me on Twitter, which is my favorite social media platform. It's yes. Amy Menlapis, and you spell Menlapis Man M A N L A P A S. And I'm I'm the and I'm like the white lady. Um, yep. You'll see you'll see my picture. I'm very pale. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, are you sure she isn't dead? And you know what? I'm not, I'm not sure either. I'm not sure. You talked a lot about necromancy. Yes. <laughs> I really yeah. do love so. necromancy. That's fantastic. You could be like, what's his face? The fucking history teacher that's also dead. The ghost. Oh, oh. Honestly, but yes. like... But truly, What's his name. Bins. 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 <laughs> but truly, I feel like Professor Binns is really representative of everything that we've sort of railed against today. Oh, yeah. for, oh for sure. <laughs> like a dead old white guy is a so oh teacher. Teaching the history. <laughs> yes. Yeah, making like goblin rebellions. And, and yeah. now yeah. And especially when you think about how like the goblins were like Jewish coded, you're like, I want to know yeah. yeah. more Yeah. resistance, please. That's yeah. true. I wish I had been more woke as a kid. <sighs> Whatever. Me too. I mean, mm-hmm. especially when you think about Kingsley Shacklebolt, who named oh, yeah. a black man Shacklebolt. I didn't even oh. fucking think of that till right now. Yeah, so now I'm going to go punch myself in the face me. because I didn't fucking that think did of that. did not occur to me. You know when this I moment. stopped reading them, like rereading them. Yeah. Not for any reason until I guess I just was like, "Yeah, I don't know, there's other stuff out there." But now I'm like yeah. Fuck. Maybe yeah. I need to reread it and highlight all the stupid shit and be mad. I mean, like, TikTok does a really good job of all all of, like, the gross stuff that she does. But Shacklebolt, Shacklebolt really gets yeah. me. It's They've also done a good job in the later seasons of, there's a podcast called Harry Potter in the Sacred Text. Have you guys heard of this? Is this the one where they read it and then they talk about it? So yes, but they read one Sounds of them. So vague. But yeah, literally was like. And I'm like yes, technically <laughs> it's one of them. Is I think like a chaplain or like a theology student. So they study a lot of religion, and so they use different formal methods of reading like the Bible and the Quran and stuff. And yeah. they read each chapter through one of those lenses. So they'll pick oh, a theme, wow. and like every episode is a chapter. And they pick a, you know, strength or wisdom or, like, some sort of theme. And they apply some kind of sacred text methodology to it. And they read it as if it's a sacred text. Wow. Um, And they, so they've been doing that. They're on, I think, the seventh book now. And they've done, like, the whole series. And there was a time where they kind of did the, do we stop doing this? What do we do? And so in the later seasons, they've picked up kind of more, like, critical reading of it. in, In addition to doing it as a sacred mm. text. Yeah. Um, And they, like, at, at the end of every chapter, they do, like, a blessing for a certain character, and it's really nice. That's actually really fucking yeah. interesting. It's a really cool podcast. I haven't listened in a while. Just because, I'm having a lot of feelings. That sounds like... Yeah. It sounds pretty, like what the characters need. But, yes. Um, it's pretty yeah. cool. Um, and, yeah, they always take, like, a different angle, or they'll have guests on and stuff like that. Oh, but I actually... Gosh. I really recommend it. And, like I said, in the later chapters... I mean, it's been on for years, right? So, like, in the more recent stuff, they take kind of a more critical eye to it. Right. I love that. I've just been listening to Let's Not Meet and scaring the shit out of myself. I haven't listened to that one yet. It's so good. I would would love to narrate a story on Let's Not Meet. Yeah. It's amazing. If they want, like, a very nasally woman, (laughs) Andrew Tate, call me. (laughs) Call me if you're listening. If you're listening, Andrew Tate. I mean, if you are, that's fucking cool as hell also. I mean, yeah, welcome. <laughs> welcome, Andrew. Welcome, well, how did you made it this far. Thank you so much. this way. All right, awesome. Thank you so much, Amy. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. I will come back anytime. This was a blast. Awesome. Yes. We will make you. Don't worry. Yes. I- excellent. <laughs> I-, I look forward to it. Awesome. Awesome. Bye. Okay, Bye. Bye. <laughs> thank you for listening to What the History. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WTHistoryPod. If you'd like to email us, you can do that at WTHistoryPodcast at gmail.com, and we'd love to hear feedback or episode ideas or anything else you have to say. You can support us on Patreon by visiting patreon.com WTHistoryPodcast and get exclusive access to even more nerdy stuff. Don't forget to tune in every Thursday when new episodes are released, and we will see you next time.